Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of It's Crime Time. I hope you all are enjoying your holiday season. In this episode, I'm going to be telling the story of Nathaniel Barr Jonah, a child molester, suspected serial killer, and cannibal. I would like to warn you that this one is the most gruesome that I've done thus far. It involves children, and it's relatively difficult to listen to. All right, everyone, it's crime time. This episode of It's Crime Time is brought to you by Anchor. If you like this podcast and would like to create your own, let me tell you about Anchor by Spotify. Anchor is completely free and has all the creation tools you'll need to record, edit, and distribute your podcast. You can record and edit directly from your computer or phone using the app and let Anchor automatically distribute to the most popular platforms without having any fancy setup. Did I mention they even have video podcasting on Spotify now? And you can earn money through ads and pod subscriptions. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. That's anchor.fm to get started and share your creation with the world. Nathaniel Barjona was born David Paul Brown on February 15, 1957 in Worcester, Massachusetts. As a child, he displayed many signs that he was not your typical child, even at the young age of six years old. He would often pick at his scabs until his skin became festered and bloodied, and then he would eat the scabs and drink his blood. Teachers at his elementary school, Webster Elementary, informed his mother that this upset them and fellow students. In 1964, at the young age of seven, Nathaniel received a Ouija board for his birthday. He promised a five-year-old neighbor girl that if she entered his basement, he would show her the Ouija board. There, he attempted to strangle her but was stopped by his mother when she heard the girl's screams. At this time, Nathaniel's mother thought nothing of the incident as he was young when it happened. Maybe he was just being a typical boy picking on a girl. I don't know about you, but when I was younger, none of the boys I grew up with ever tried to strangle me. (laughs) A few years after this, he attempted to lure two boys riding their bicycles down a street to a cemetery close by. One boy grew suspicious and convinced his friend not to go. Nathaniel even offered them $20. Thankfully, they did not, as Nathaniel had plans to murder them. In 1970, another incident occurred when Nathaniel lured a six-year-old boy who was also his neighbor with the promise of sled riding with him. He then sexually assaulted the boy. As he became an adult, he had always been very obese, standing at only 5 feet 10 inches tall and exceeding 300 pounds. Imagine how terrifying this must have been for the children he kidnapped as it was often said that he sat on the children to smother them, and at one point it was even witnessed. As he grew old, this pattern of behavior continued. However, he developed smarter and more enticing ways to lure his victims. In 1975, when he was just 17 years old, 
he approached an eight-year-old boy on his way to school, and he claimed he was a police officer. He then lured the boy into his car and began to sexually assault him. A neighbor saw the boy being lured into Nathaniel's car and phoned to the police. He was later arrested when the boy identified him working at a local McDonald's, but was only sentenced to one year probation. Three years later, he abducted two boys from a movie theater, once again claiming to be a police officer. He informed the boys they were under arrest and handcuffed them. He moved them to a secluded location where he molested them. In an effort to silence a witness, he began to strangle one of the boys. When he thought the boy had passed away, he loaded the remaining victim into his trunk and drove away from the scene. Luckily for the boy who was strangled, he survived and ran to retrieve help. This time, Nathaniel, when found by police, still had the victim in his trunk and was sentenced to 18 to 20 years in prison for attempted murder. In prison in 1979, Nathaniel often met with a psychiatrist. He definitely did not hold back when it came to speaking about his fantasies of ultimately murdering, dismembering, and eating children. This psychiatrist, in shock, suggested that, Nan that Nathaniel be relocated to a mental hospital. In 1991, the judge disagreed with the psychiatric evaluations that Nathaniel had received and concluded that he was not a dangerous threat to society anymore, and he was released. After spending about 11 years in the mental hospital, he moved to Montana with his mother, as this was a stipulation by the judge if he were to be released. He moved to Montana, but had to continue seeking psychiatric help while there. Only a few days after his release from the mental hospital, he noticed a seven-year-old boy seated in a car alone. He forced his way into the parked car and attempted to smother the boy by sitting on him. The boy's mother came out to the car and called police, and Nathaniel was swiftly arrested. After he was arrested, no one from Massachusetts bothered to follow up with the probation officers in Montana, so he was eventually released. He changed his name at this time from David Paul Brown to Nathaniel Benjamin Levi Barjona. Now, a couple of places I saw that his name was listed as Levi Barjona, and some locations it was listed as Levi Barjona. He claimed he wanted to know what it felt like to go through the prosecution that Jews went through, so he picked a Jewish name, but it was never proven that he was actually Jewish at all. Although he changed his name, he was still the same sick, twisted individual that he always had been. A 10-year-old boy by the name of Zachary Ramsey disappeared on his way to school in 1996. It has been stated that he was seen walking down an alleyway where he typically walked to go to school. And it was seen that he was crying and some man was following him and the man appeared to be visibly upset. Some identified this man as Nathaniel. A missing persons report was filed by his parents, but police did not have adequate experience with this type of crime in that area, so it went cold over time. Nathaniel lived in a nearby apartment complex in which he used this opportunity to lure young boys that lived in the complex or near the complex into his apartment to sexually assault them. There was a makeshift pulley system installed into the ceiling in which he hung at least one boy by the neck. It's a shame that his crimes went unnoticed for years, until at one point, a mother noticed how reclusive and withdrawn her son had become 
after spending time with Nathaniel. But she nor anyone else suspected he was a child molester or a murderer, however, as, like I mentioned, this crime wasn't really a typical crime at the time in this area. A few neighbors of Nathaniel's did notice that the food Nathaniel often made for them featured a strange meat that they could not identify. Nathaniel claimed it was venison from when he went hunting, but everyone knew he was not a hunter. He did not have rifles or his hunting license. His cookouts often involved meals such as spaghetti, chili, meat pies, and casseroles. One lady stated that the meat in his food was repulsive. He was later accused of molesting this lady's son. He was arrested outside of school carrying a fake gun, a taser, pepper spray, and a badge, and he was posing as a police officer in 1999. He was charged with impersonating a police officer, but police were given the opportunity to search Nathaniel's home. What they found would haunt them. There was tens of thousands of magazine clippings of photos of children, and even photos of children that he had sexually assaulted or spent time with, and photos of Nathaniel's nude body as well. They found a journal that was written in a secret code which was sent to be decoded. They also made the discovery of human bone. Neighbors in the apartment complex came forward to police with information that they believed Nathaniel was molesting their children. He was charged with kidnapping and sexual assault. Police also believed he was responsible for Zachary Ramsey's disappearance. Upon starting the beginning of the trial, police had completing de completed decoding Nathaniel's journal. It was stated inside that he was obsessed with torturing and murdering children. A list featured 54 names of children, 27 whom were thought to be earlier assault victims or children that he met in Webster where he was still known as David Brown. The rest of them were local children from Montana and some remain unidentified. Now this next part is even more disturbing. In his journal featured some disgustingly titled entries where he described plans to cook and eat children. It even featured recipes. And these recipes included the use of human meat. The titles were as followed, barbecued kid, sex a la carte, my little kid dessert, little boy stew, little boy pot pies, and lunch is served on the patio with roasted child. Terrifying suspicions began creeping into the minds of police when they collected a meat grinder to be investigated from his home as well. The grinder had human hair inside of it and when DNA tested, came back to be that of an African-American male's hair. Zachary that went missing was an African-American male, but this hair was determined not to be his. The hair also did not match 21 bone fragments found under his garage floor. The bones were cut, smashed, and boiled, which affected their DNA. They did belong to a child, but the bone nor the hair was Zachary's. When the neighbors got word of this, they began to wonder if they were fed the flesh of the missing boy, Zachary. This was only suspicion and it was never proven as there was lack of evidence, but so much circumstantial evidence makes people believe this was true. Nathaniel denied ever even coming into contact with Zachary at some points. Oddly enough, there are no records that he purchased groceries after Zachary's disappearance either and he was known to be a very heavy eater. So those often thought that he had enough 
meat from Zachary's body to sustain him for a period of time. And maybe he had a stockpile of other food that he could cook with the meat. At one point though, Nathaniel told Zachary's mother that he hunted, killed, butchered, and wrapped the meat of her 10 year old son. It was said that he served human meat at one point at a barbecue for his mother and a friend. In court in July 2000, he was prosecuted for the abduction and molestation of three boys and convicted of sexual assault, aggravated assault, and kidnapping. These charges included the incident where he tortured one boy and hung him from the ceiling. During his trial, a 36-year-old woman, and I'm sorry if I butcher her last name, Mary Patrone, recognized Nathaniel as the man who abducted and assaulted her in 1974 by dressing as a police officer, but the statute of limitations had expired on this case. He was also suspected of the disappearance of 10-year-old Janice Pocket 10 months prior, as well as some other children that had went missing. He was going to be charged with the murder and cannibalism of Zachary Ramsey. However, his mother refused to cooperate with police, believing that her son was still alive. Nathaniel Barjona was never actually sentenced upon charges of murder or cannibalism because none of the bodies were ever found or parts of the bodies to prove that he killed anyone, even though there was significant cir circumstantial evidence. He was sentenced to 130 years in prison in Montana. However, police in Montana were unaware of his previous record in Massachusetts. Activists often use these facts in hopes to get sex offenders to register on a national database because there was no registered sex offender database at the time. In December 2004, Nathaniel's appeals were turned down and his conviction of 130 years remained. Guards often reported that Nathaniel would sit in his cell, eat his scabs, and when he placed them in his mouth, his face took on a look of euphoria, almost as if he was in an orgasmic state having a sexual encounter. Unfortunately, no one was ever able to kill Nathaniel, if this is what you believed he deserved. And we know what often happens to child predators or murderers in prison because he died on April 13th, 2008 in his prison cell. High levels of LDL, which is a low density lipoprotein, which can carry cholesterol into the arteries and block them, was found in his blood. And it was determined that he passed from either a heart attack or a blood clot because he was in poor health from being morbidly obese and recently had a leg amputated from diabetic complications. There are other victims linked to Nathaniel, but none of them were ever proven to be victims of his. One in particular was Amanda Gallion, who left her home on October 13th in 1997 on her bicycle at 7.15 a.m. en route to her school. This girl was often mistaken as a little boy around town. And while Nathaniel often hurt girls when he was younger, he typically chose young boys. So maybe he had mistaken her for a boy as well. She disappeared on her way to school and Nathaniel happened to be staying at a hotel on October 12th in Gillette, Wyoming, where she disappeared. Her bicycle was discovered along Route I-90 and she was never found. Her social security number had never been used again either, which solidified the fact that she was most likely murdered. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give me a like, 
on whatever podcast platform you listen to or subscribe and check out my Instagram at it's crime time pod. I hope you enjoyed this third episode of it's crime time podcast. And once again, I hope all of you are enjoying your holiday season.